0: All right, if you're here for the first time, uh, my name's Mark, and I want to introduce Christo to you. Some of you, as you just heard, already know Christo, but others uh, don't. And so if you're watching online or you're joining us here uh, for the first time, we want to be a church that raises up new preachers and young preachers. And so it's a delight to have Christo doing a sermon today. I I got four things to tell you about Christo. First, Christo was born in Albania and grew up in Greece, and came here as an international student. So, if you're an international student, welcome. He can relate and he'd love to meet you. If you're here speaking English as not your first language, second or third, as it would be third for him, first of all, thank you for doing that. It's very hard work to do church in a second or third or whatever language. And again, he can relate to you and he would he would love to meet you if that's your, your background. So. Second thing I want to tell you about, or second uh, fact about Christo is, I asked him how long he's been working on staff. He said, 2,245 days. (laughs) Now, I know I'm going to lose a certain percentage of people for the next minute while you're figuring that out, but go ahead and work on that. It's a little over six years. He has served here in a variety of capacities. Um, including over on the campus and most recently and currently as the director of our youth ministry, which we call 515. So if you're new to the church and you're a teenager or you have a teenager or maybe you've been in the church for a long time, but you've never gotten connected with 515, Christo would love to meet with you, talk to you more uh, uh, about that and introduce you to the discipleship that's going on there. Third thing you need to know about Christo is he loves football which Americans call soccer, right? That's right. Okay, did I get that right? Okay. The last thing that I want to tell you about Christo is Christo loves people. Doesn't he? He he loves his wife, Katie, and his kids. He loves his community group and international students, teens and parents, and I've experienced that, (laughs) and I know where it comes from. He's experienced the love of God, and now that love of from God is flowing through him, and I hope through the sermon that you'll experience the love of God this morning. So thank you for preaching.
1: Amen. Thank you. <laughs> well, good morning. I'm I'm really excited and as I said in that video, also a little bit nervous to be up here, but Uh, Bear with me. So today we're going to continue in our uh, psalm series, The Inexistible Riches of God's Word, and the text is going to be Psalm 119, verses 89 to 96. Uh, Just as a way of reminder, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It is 176 verses. And even though I feel a little bit tempted to read all 176 verses, I'm not, so... We're good. But if you were to read, and I encourage you to read the entire Psalm 119, you will find out that it's an extensive meditation in the Word of God. It's a wor- in the Psalm 119, it extols the Word of God. It praises the Word of God. It's a psalm that gives wisdom, but it's also a psalm that reflects the vast spectrum of human emotions and experiences. So, for example, if you read over the psalm, you will see that it features Lament and prayer, and fear, and joy, and thanksgiving, and praise, among many other emotions and experiences. So it's really important before we dive into our text that we are reminded that this is not just about God's Word, but this psalm is also a psalm that reflects the relationship and the love that exists between the psalmist and God. So at this point, I'm going to ask Tori, who is part of our 515 Youth Ministry, to come and to read Psalm 119, verses 89 to 96. So please. Psalm
0: 119, 89 through 96. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will forget your precepts, but by them you have given me life. I am yours, saved me. I have sought my your precepts. The wicked lie and wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen no limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad.
1: Amen. That is the word of God. But before we go any further, let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the time that we get to gather together to worship, to sing, to praise you and to study your word. Father, I pray that as we are opening up your holy scriptures, that by the end of this sermon, we'll be in awe with you. Father, I pray that you will teach us many wonderful things about you in your wonderful scriptures. Lord, I pray that those who need encouragement this morning, they will be encouraged by the preaching of God's word. Father, I pray that those who need to be comforted, they will be comforted by your very word to them. So Lord, open our hearts that we'll receive whatever instruction you have to give us this morning through your text. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever wake up in the morning and you think to yourself, I'm not going to make it through today. <laughs> yeah. You wake up and you're so overwhelmed by whatever situation is going on in your life that you feel that like you don't have it in you to keep going. As we, ask, as we open God's word this morning, I want us to ask this question as a prompt So we open up the text and the question is this, where do you turn when you're in trouble? Is there somewhere that you can turn when you experience trials and affliction? See most of us, we're quick to turn to other people, we're quick maybe to turn inwardly or maybe to turn to other things or maybe even substances. And although at times those things can be helpful to a certain degree, the truth is that none of those answers give a permanent solution. They're, none of those answers are powerful enough to deliver us from our troubles. So in short, none of those answers, none of those options are perfect solutions. But what we're going to learn today in Psalm 119, verses 89 to 96 is that there is a place to find permanent, powerful, and perfect help. In the most difficult moments of our life, we can turn to God and His Word. And the message is this. The Word of God will never let you down. And if you are to walk out of here this morning and you don't remember anything else, and someone asks you, what was the message about? I want you to remember this one thing. The Word of God will never let you down. And the psalmist gives us three reasons why. He says, the word of God will never let you down because the word of God is permanent. I'm going to see that in verses 89 to 91. The word of God will never let you down because the word of God is powerful. Verses 92 to 95. And the third point, the word of God will never let you down because the word of God is perfect. As we're going to see in verse 96. So let's jump right into the first point and may God bless the preaching of his word. The word of God will never let you down because the word of God is permanent. You see, in those verses, the psalmist is making a declaration and he's saying the word of God is permanent because it's God's word. So look with me in verses 89 to 91 and notice what the psalmist is talking about. He's saying in verse 89, he's talking about someone and he says that his word is firmly fixed in the heavens. In verse 90, that his faithfulness endures to all generations, and that he has established the earth. In verse 91, he says, by his appointment they stand this day, and all things are his servants. So who is he talking about? It's not a trick question. The answer is right there in verse 89. He's talking about the Lord, all capital letters. That's Yahweh. That's the God of the Bible, the self-existent and eternal God. And notice what he's saying about God and his word. Right in verse 89, he says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. And word here is one of the eight different ways the psalmist refers to the word of God. It's a general term embracing all the truth that God speaks throughout the Bible. It is the commandments, the stories, the promises. So everything that God speaks. And what we see in verses 89 and 90 is that when God speaks, his word stands firm. Your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. So the psalmist is declaring by saying it's fixed in the heavens that this is the eternal word of God. He's saying like, look, the Bible is not just the words of man. It's the very words of God. And God keeps his word secure in the heavens. Another translation puts it this way. The word of God is settled. It's fixed. So in verse 89, the psalmist, is pointing to the heavens. In verse 90, the psalmist points to the earth. And he says, you have established the earth and it stands fast. You see, he's using the earth as an illustration of just how permanent God's word is. He's saying, look, just as God established the earth, and we know that from Genesis 1, that God spoke creation into existence and it stands fast, so does the word of God. The same way that once creation was established and stands firm, so does the word of God. Now, in a few weeks, maybe a few months, the sun will start to rise up a little bit later in the morning and come down a little bit earlier during the day check on us because for people who come from the Mediterranean and used to a lot of sun that can be a difficult time but even though the timing that the Sun comes up and goes down might change and maybe you're in bed and you're thinking one day like well I hope it will take the Sun will come up yet because I need a little bit more sleep but yet we know that the Sun will come up and it will go down now if you don't we need to have a different conversation so, what the psalmist is saying here, he is inviting us to look around in all creation, whether it is the heavens or the earth, and to see that what God speaks stands firm, that it is permanent. And not only it stands fast, but also the word of God endures to all generations. Verse 90, your faithfulness endures to all generations. What he's saying here, is that God's faithfulness is expressed by His word, to the, by His word, the very fact that God has kept all His promises. So I want you to think with me with the Psalmist here for a second. From the time that God made a promise to Abraham, and from Abraham to his son and to their descendants, and from generation to generation to generation, all the way to the Psalmist, God has been faithful to every single generation. From the time that Abraham was wandering in the Middle East and in Mesopotamia to slavery in Egypt, to the establishment of Israel as God's kingdom. God has been faithful to every single generation. So church, you can trust in God's word because his faithfulness is permanent and so is his word. And one last observation in this section is that God's word is also unchanging as we see in verse 91. By your appointment, they stand fast to this day. Who is they? He's talking about the word of God. And he's saying, look, the laws that you made are still in effect today. They're as true today as the day that they were first written. They continue to this day according to God's purposes. So therefore, to summarize this first point, you don't have to worry That one day God's word will be relevant to you. Or it will stop being true, or it will stop being there. But that's different from most of our experiences, isn't it? Now listen, I know that most of you are from the United States, but I also come from the cradle of democracy. I come from Greece. And believe it or not, at some point back in time, thousands of years ago, Greece was the epicenter of the world. And there was a time that it was the golden age. It was so good that the sciences flourished and, and a lot of great things happened. And you read a lot of those in history. And during that time, one of the amazing things is that they built some incredible buildings. One of them, namely Acropolis. I live 10 to 15 minutes away from Acropolis. But if you ever were to go to Greece, parentheses, if you ever get a chance to go to Greece, please do, you'll have a great time. But if you ever go to Greece, what will you see if you visit Acropolis? You will see a crumbling temple. Because you see, no matter how beautiful and how magnificent it is, and we get glimpses of that, it did not stand the test of time. And everything that man creates, there is a limit to it. But you know what? The Word of God stands forever. God's Word is permanent, and His permanent work of creation is an example of just how permanent his word is. God's word will never be untrue, will never be be irrelevant to your life because God's promises do not have an expiration date but only a fulfillment date. So you can always trust the word of God. So if you find yourself in a difficult situation, what the psalmist is saying is, look, you might call your friend but he might not pick up. Or you might go to the pharmacy and to get your prescription but maybe they run out of it but he's saying but the word of god will always be there for you. you can bank that you can always trust in the word of god the word of god will always be there for you it will not let you down so the word of god will never let you down because it's permanent second point the word of god will never let you down because the word of god is powerful another way of saying this is that it's effective it is sufficient for life. It's what we need. It will accomplish its purposes in your life. But look with me and consider where the psalmist finds himself. Look at verse 92. He says, if your law had not been my delight, I will have perished in my affliction. I'll have perished in my affliction. In verse 94, he cries out and he says, I'm yours. Save me. In verse 95, he says, the wicked lion way to destroy me. Now, what do you notice there? What is his condition? Well, my first observation is that the psalmist has experienced severe affliction, anguish, pain, danger, persecution. And what he sees in verse 92, he says, like, I could have perished. You can hear him say something along the lines, it was beyond me. It was killing me. I could have died. Now, we don't know for sure what the circumstances were, but we know for sure that this was no life affliction. Fourteen different times in the psalm, the psalmist talks about affliction. In the previous stanza, verses 81 to 88, marks the low point of the psalm. And in that section, we find that the psalmist is crying out and he's begging and he's crying out to God and he says, give me life. Eight different times he does that in, the, in Psalm 119. But you know what? In our text today, it's a little bit different. In our text, we see that his prayer has been answered. He says, you have given me life. You see, the, the psalmist finds himself in a different place. He's anchored in the word of God. So what the psalmist is, So what is the God the psalmist through the difficult times? Yes. We want to know. Don't you want to know what can get you through the hard times? It says, like, there was something about God's word that made these men to survive affliction. And look with me in verses 92 to 95. It says, like, even in his lowest point, he sought to delight in the word of God. As you see in verse 92. He did not forget God's precepts, but he sought them out. You see that in verse 93 and 94. And he did it as he continued to consider God's testimonies, as we see in verse 95. You see, he continued to want, he continued to seek to know, love, and obey God's word. He sought God's precepts. And that's another way that the psalmist talks about the word of God. And precepts is a detailed instruction, it's an order that's meant to be carried out. So the psalmist is not just empty talk, he's seeking to be obedient to what God shows him in the scriptures. And the psalmist says, Look, I will never forget your word. So he's not saying, I will only remember your word. He's saying that I'll remember to also do what your word says. And I know that the psalmist and none of us can do that perfectly. None of us can pursue and obey God's word perfectly. But what he's saying is that he has established and determined in his heart that he's going to live a life that's pleasing to God. So it's not a matter of performance or perfection. It's a matter of direction. So even when the enemies wait for an opportunity to destroy him, the sound turns to God's word, and he considers his testimonies. You see, he's not naive about the seriousness of his danger, but his mighty weapon was to wander, to ponder, sorry, God's word as a defense to the enemy's attacks. You see, he's trying to understand the word of God and the relevance to his life. On the outside, the enemies are seeking to destroy him, but inwardly the psalmist continues to turn to God's word. Another way of saying this is that what got him through was a lifelong habit, a lifestyle of reading, praying, meditating, memorizing, studying God's word. He was cultivating fellowship with God through his word. And in doing so, the psalmist was able to experience God's sustaining grace in time of affliction. So look, the truth is that believers are not exempt from trials, suffering, or persecution, or affliction. But the psalmist here helps us view affliction from a godly perspective. You see, affliction, difficulty, trial, suffering, sadness, pain can become the source of discontentment, depression, isolation, anger. Unless, unless affliction drives us to God and His Word. You see, when we're afflicted and our hearts are broken, we need the nearness of God. And we experience God's nearness through God's powerful word. And that goes beyond this mere Bible knowledge. And I know that in a church our side, you may find yourself this morning in a place where you relate with the affliction of the psalmist. Maybe you are lukewarm about your faith. Maybe you're spiritually lethargic or apathetic toward the things of God. Maybe you're struggling to get to God's word. Can we be honest for a moment? Well, perhaps you're experiencing some form of affliction. And look, the first thing I want to say is thank you for being here. And I don't know what affliction you're going through, but I'm sorry that you have to go through that. But I want to encourage you that you don't fight this battle alone. Earlier in Psalm 119, verse 50, the psalmist says that this is my comfort in my affliction. That your promise gives me life. That's a beautiful text. And I want to share with you a quick story. So when I got saved during college, God radically transformed my life. And in the beginning stages, it was amazing. I mean, you know, I was like a new crystal. So I'm living a completely different way. I want to do things completely different. I'm studying scriptures. And it was, it was the honeymoon phase. I mean, I opened the scriptures and whatever I read, it was just perfect. I could understand what it said. I could pray and I felt like God answered every single prayer. But you see, I didn't have the maturity to know that you still continue to live in a broken world. That sin can still continue to creep back in. So then I find myself in this very difficult situation. It was, I have not suffered a lot in my life. My affliction does not compare with some of the things that you, some of you might have suffered. But it was a time of desperation. Because my non-believing friends could see some things about my life and they will say, well, you're not a Christian. And then some of my friends here at church will not see some of my life. And then I felt like I a hypocrite. And I couldn't ignore the fact that I've come face to face with the living God. But also I didn't know what to do. And I lacked the maturity to talk to an older brother. And I was desperate. I didn't know what to do. But God was so good. And his grace was so good. Because he led me to Romans 8.1. And Romans 8.1 says like, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I remember at that time being in my room desperate. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to move forward with my life. But I remember crying out and saying, God, I believe in your word. There is nothing else and I'm going to hold on to this very word. You see, the devil loved to whisper lies and to condemn me. But I find comfort in my affliction by the very words of God. And oh, what a great friend Romans 8.1 has been to me. If you've been in any discipleship relationship with me, you probably heard me use that. So I want to encourage you that you find comfort in your weary souls in the Word of God. Let God's words revive your soul. You see, and if you have a hard time believing the Word of God, maybe you're having a hard time to believe His promises, or maybe you understand it, but something's not clicking in my heart. I want to ask you something. First, thank you for being here, but do not leave church today without talking to someone. Maybe it's the neighbor next to you. Maybe it's someone who you know who knows that the word of God is powerful and permanent and you say, look, I struggle to believe this. I know it's true. I'm just not experiencing the goodness of it. And ask someone to read this very word, to read this text over you, to pray this text over you. Invite them and allow them to walk with you, alongside your affliction. Now listen, and if you are, there's another group, if you are someone who knows the permanent and powerful word of God, and you know what it can do in the life of the believer, look out for a brother and sister who might need you. And you take initiative and ask them to read these words over them, to pray these words over them, and to walk alongside whatever trial they might be going through. You see, the psalm is delighted in the word of God, he cried out to God for help. He considered God's testimonies. He remembered God's promises. He sought to do what God told him to do in his scriptures. You see, the psalmist was able to bring his trials to God, and he found refuge in his fellowship and communion with a holy, living God. And I know it's perhaps easier to praise God when things are going well. But what's Remarkable is that it is in his suffering that he turns to God. in In the darkest moments of his life, he turns to God. The circumstances are not ideal. He's in danger, he's persecuted, he's afflicted, but God and his word are the center of his thinking. And God's word sustained him in his hardships. His soul is revived. He finds rescue and refuge from his troubles and from his enemies. This is how he survives affliction. And that's a timely reminder for us that even in times when we cannot delight in what's going on around in our lives, we can delight in the things that God shows us in his word. So what do you do when you find yourself in a difficult time, in a time of affliction? But what the psalmist is saying, look, the word of God is powerful to meet, you, to meet you at your lowest point, at the darkest moments of your life. So the word of God will never let you down because it is permanent, because it is powerful. Third, the word of God will never let you down because the word of God is perfect. Look in verse 96. He says, I've seen a limit to all Perfection. But your commandment is exceedingly broad. Now remember that this is Hebrew poetry. And Hebrew poetry uses a lot parallelism and contrast. So what he's saying here is like, look, I've seen a limit to all perfection. But, here's the contrast, your commandment is exceedingly broad. It's infinite. It's without any limit. There is limits to all things, but your word is unlimited. This last verse is a summary statement. You see the psalmist, he's he's been telling us, look, the word of God is permanent. The word of God is powerful. And then almost like he, he ends in a doxology. He ends up in praising God. He's saying, look, it's just perfect. Nothing else is perfect, but God's word is perfect. And this could be very well the summary of the book of Ecclesiastes that we just went over earlier this year. Derek Kidner, one of the, uh, on his commentary, he puts it this way. He says, every earthly enterprise has its day and comes to nothing. Only in God and his commandments do we, do, do we get beyond these frustrating limits. Contrary to our fears of God's word being oppressive and limiting, God's word is actually freeing. And I'm going to add to that and enable us to live the lives that God created us to live. You see, we can enjoy true freedom by living according to God's powerful, permanent, and perfect word. So everything builds to this climax. Even perfection has its limits. Look, Mark mentioned earlier that I love soccer. It's football, but sure, soccer. Okay? And and you know, every couple of years, a team will come around, usually European team, usually from Spain, and they'll be so good... (laughs) And they'll be so good and someone say, that team is just perfect. And you know what happens? Two, three years go by and then another team comes and they're like, oh, that team is perfect. And then another team comes and they're saying like, oh no, that team is perfect. Let me tell you what, none of those teams are perfect. You know why? Because even the teams that do so well, it's not that they go and they win every single game. It's not that they never concede any goals. It's not that they never get any red cards. There is a limit to perfection. That goes for all things. You buy a phone, and by the time the next one comes around, all of a sudden that phone doesn't seem as good anymore. Everything has its limits, but God's Word has no limit. Everything is limited in its perfection, but the Word of God is not limited in any way. It is what you need now, but also forever, because the Word of God is exceedingly broad. It goes beyond. It's not just for life on earth, but it goes beyond that because it prepares you for the glory to come. It prepares you for all eternity. Now, this box here, maybe you notice it. I'm not going to pull a magic trick. (laughs) Some of you might be relieved. Some of you might be disappointed. But this box here actually belongs to my wife, Katie. And I don't even know how to open this, but the point is, what's inside there, I know what's inside, and what's inside there are letters. And there are letters that I've written to her from the the time that we start dating, through engagement, through marriage, through becoming parents, through anniversaries and birthdays. I've written letters to her to express to her my love and my affection for her. So Katie loves, thank you. Who said guys cannot be romantic, right? <laughs> guys, take notes. <laughs> but Katie loves this box, not because of the box, not because of the letter, not because of the handwriting, but it is because there is a person behind those letters. So you see, I think it's really important that as we think about the permanent, permanent, Powerful and perfect word of God that we're reminded that there is a person behind. That the Bible is God's love letter to you. This is God telling you of his affections for you. And the perfect, the permanent, powerful, perfect word of God was preparing the psalmist for the day of judgment and for all eternity. But you know, the psalmist could only see that in shadow but we see that more fully in Christ. You see, the perfect, powerful, and permanent Word of God became flesh, as we read in John 1. Because the Bible is ultimately a book that points to Jesus. The Old Testament tells us who Jesus is, who the Messiah will be, and what he will do, and the New Testament records the fulfillment of those promises in the coming of Jesus. And look at what Peter says about the permanent, powerful, and perfect Word of God when he's writing to the early church and to early Christians in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23-25. to 25. So Peter is speaking and he's saying, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God, for all flesh is like grass, And all its glory, like the flower of the grass, the grass withers and the flower falls. And here's the punchline. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So you see, through Christ, we have been born again. In Christ, we have a new life forever because we trust in the eternal word of God. We've given a new life by the word of God, and that is the gospel the message of salvation. And by our union with Christ, we have eternal life and communion with God. Now, when Jesus was resurrected and he was with his disciples and Peter was there with him, uh, he took them on what will be the best Bible study ever. In Luke 24, 27, we read that Jesus, after his resurrection, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them In all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. You see, Jesus explains to his disciples that everything in the scriptures points to him. He wanted them to understand and he opened their minds to read the Bible through the lens of Christ, through the lens of the gospel. So the point here is that through Christ we have everlasting life. And we open up the scriptures because the scriptures open, their, open our hearts to the gospel and the good news of Christ. And now as you consider this, remember that Jesus, growing up as a Jewish boy, he had to read, he had to meditate, he had to memorize, and he had to sing these very same verses. Jesus is a perfect example of someone who delighted in the word of God. And you know what? Jesus, he kept it perfectly. He delighted in the word of God more than anyone, and he kept it perfectly. And he was obedient to the will of God to the point of shedding his own blood. The psalmist says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. But you know what? Jesus did perish in his affliction, didn't he? And Jesus perished in his affliction so that you and I, we don't have to. But the good news is that God raised him from the dead. And as we see in the Gospels, doing God's will resulted in an eternal life and an eternal inheritance. And knowing Christ's work gives us the confidence to approach the throne of grace. It allows us to have fellowship with God, but also with one another. You see, if you want to see God's word come to life, if you want God's word come to life for you, then come to Jesus. Pray this prayer. I am yours. Save me. And this is not something that you just do by yourself. Because remember, even though the psalmist is writing this, that the psalms was the national songbook for Israel. So there's a communal aspect. Ask the Holy Spirit to make this true for you. Do it together in community. Get involved in the community group. Mark mentioned that I love my community group. I do. Because through the ups and downs of life, it is in those friends that I so many times I find comfort, and I'm encouraged, and I'm strengthened, and they carry me through the difficult times. Take advantage of the many discipleship opportunities that are coming up this fall. And when you don't know what else to do, simply continue to cry out to God, save me. So to recap here, you can always be confident that the word of the Bible, that the word of the living God will never let you down because it is permanent, because it is powerful, and because it is perfect. The message of the gospel is timeless it will never change. So whether it is in a time of affliction, whether it is in singleness, whether it is in marriage, whether it is in parenting, in sadness, in joy, in life, in death, we can be absolutely confident always that God's word will never let us down. When everything else around you changes, you can hold on to God's unchanging word. When people fail you, you can trust in God's faithfulness and when all else might fall apart you can depend on the word of god that stands fast so we opened up this message with a question what do you do when you find yourself in trouble what do you do in a time of affliction well isn't it amazing that the word of god is permanent it is powerful and it is perfect isn't it amazing that the word of god will never let us down And I can tell you this, that as long as your hope is fixed on the Lord, you are not going to perish in your affliction. Now, you might be at a cross point. Maybe there's an important decision coming up. Uh, Maybe there is an important decision coming, or maybe the storms of life have showered you with doubt and worry and anxiety, and fear. But here's the thing, you can hold on to God's promises and you can find hope in the salvation that Jesus has provided. And to close here, one of the things that's been so sweet in meditating and studying and preparing for this sermon this week has been not only that I delight in the things that God shows us in his scriptures, but yes, even... During this week, it's been so rich to read this incredible text. But I have another reason to delight. And that is because I do not find those to be true only in the pages of this this text and of the Bible, but because I've seen that lived out in our church. And I was reflecting how, even in this past month, I love how the church rallies to do community together. Whether it is to help someone on their wedding day, or whether we come alongside someone, amen, or whether we come alongside someone where they've lost a loved one, whether it is for a baby shower, or whether it is for a hospital visit when someone is in the ICU. I love that, and the reason why I love that and the reason why I rejoice is because I know I've heard and I've seen so many of you say, together with the psalmist, together with this text, say that if I didn't delight in God's word, I will have perished. I will not have made it. God's word has been all that I needed. I've heard those very words from some of you. So I want to pray in closing that Lord willing that will continue to be the testimony of this church. But I want to pray also that, Lord willing, this will be the testimony for all of us. Amen? But we cannot do that without the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's close and ask the Spirit to help us to bring this to life. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are like nothing else in all creation. Father, nothing compares to you. And Lord, we worship you in this time of prayer and through all that we do. Because you have been so, so good to us to give us this wonderful word. To sustain us in affliction. But Lord, you have not withheld even the best of the best. You have not withheld even your son from us. And Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We are grateful for the work that you are doing in our lives, for the things that you are showing us as we seek to follow you. So Lord, I do pray that our hearts will be strengthened. Lord, I do pray that this message will be one that we're not just going to remember when we go out in the parking lot, but that we will remember the truth that you have shown us in these scriptures, even in the darkest moments of our lives, and that we will live our lives. We live our lives in light, of all the wonderful things that you taught us this morning in your holy scriptures. So Lord, thank you for your grace and for your kindness and for your mercy to us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.